Welcome to It's Your Hormones, the podcast that delves into how your hormones affect every aspect of your life. I'm Dr. Sahar Roket. I've been a doctor for almost 20 years and I'm a GP who's been working with patients with hormonal issues for 10 years. Each week you'll hear from a patient of mine or someone I know with hormonal issues who will share their real life story for you to learn how hormones can affect your mood, energy, sleep and quality of life and most importantly, what you can do about it. Today I'm speaking with Joe. Joe first came to see me five years ago in a very unique situation. She was 34 years old at the time and had two little kids and was about to make a huge life-changing health decision having been diagnosed with BRCA2 genes. Let's dive in. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, before we decided to have our conversation, I was looking through your notes because I see you as a, a patient and I saw we've been seeing each other since 2017. Yeah. Why don't you tell people a little bit about why you came to see me? You, you were only 34 at the time. Yes. So, gosh, that was a long time ago. Um, five years ago. So I think at the time I'd had two children. Yeah. Um, Joshua was only about 15 months at the time. He was my second. And I had struggled for years and years. And I think this was going back to 15, 16 years old with this overwhelming feeling of exhaustion. And most of the time, it would sort of come and go in waves. I remember around the time I took my GCSEs and then a couple of years later, A-level. On both of those occasions getting glandular fever quite severely um, and it interrupted my studies and the exams that I was taking. And looking back now from going through the A-levels and then going on to university, that all went fine. Um, moved down to London to work and that's when things started to take a turn. I think working in quite a high pressurised environment, feeling just exhausted to the bone you know, and you'd, you'd wake up every morning and you were just achy. And then I'd be frustrated because I didn't feel I could perform at work like I wanted to. You'd go home, you'd go to bed early, it didn't matter what you did, you were just exhausted. I went to see doctors, many doctors. Um, I think in total it, it was sort of 12 years of various GPs, the same blood count returning nothing. And it was said to me that, you just have tat, which is tired all the time. Yeah. Eventually, I met my husband and we moved away from London. And again, I think that move must have sparked something because I was suddenly feeling this exhaustion again. And I decided to pay privately to go and see somebody because I'd done my own research by this point. I'd been reading and reading and reading. And I had an inkling that it might be something that, at the time, they referred to as ME. Hmm. I was then subsequently diagnosed with ME, and in that appointment, I asked what they would, would do to help me, to which the consultant gave me a website for the ME Association and asked me to go and look on that, and there was nothing that they could do. So this had been going on for a long time. Then had my children, and I think... It just got to a point where I had tried exercise and healthy eating and various fads. I'd done as much research as I possibly could. And the biggie came when I was diagnosed with the BRCA gene. 
and suddenly thought, crikey, I've got to go through this process and whatever that may be. And I'm having these waves of exhaustion still and it's been going on for so long. And I now have two children that depend on me and a husband. And I just wanted to be a good mum and to, to be you know, present in the world. And I, again, was researching, researching. Um, I tried all sorts of things. And I saw your book came up. And it was the first time I'd seen anything written about tiredness specifically. And I looked into who you were, and you won't know this, but um, I probably stalked you on social media for quite a while before <laughs> I actually came to see you. Because it's, you know, it's a big thing. Um, it's not a cheap thing to do. And I was in a position at the time, two children, family, where I really had to save to come and see you. And then I have, over the years, you know, coming to see you is my financial priority. So that's probably the long-winded way of saying it. But yeah, it started with the ME and then the BRCA diagnosis was the straw that broke the camel's back, I guess. Yeah, so uh, your mum was diagnosed with breast cancer, wasn't she? Yeah, so... My mum had breast cancer back in 1987, well, I was about five. Um, She had a single mastectomy and thankfully, radiotherapy, she recovered and was in remission right up until I was 32, 33. We lost both my grandparents, uh, her parents, and she'd spent a long time looking after them. And I think due to that, had sort of almost neglected certain symptoms that she'd got herself. By the time we discovered that she'd actually got ovarian cancer, initially she was given three months to live. And at the time, I was six months pregnant with my second child. So it it, it was quite a shock. Thankfully, she did go through chemo and she also had an operation And she lasted another five years. And because of her, I was able to qualify for the genome testing. She was tested and she was found to have BRCA2, which is, I don't think there's anything that's less severe, but it's if if it's BRCA1, then it includes a lot more cancers. Mm. But BRCA2, it, it was the less severe option, I'm told. Um, And as a subsequent factor of that, I was then tested because I wouldn't have been allowed to have been tested otherwise. Yeah. It's actually so interesting nowadays that back in the 80s, this didn't exist. And we're so lucky now and I feel so lucky that I was tested and could then make an educated decision as to what I wanted to do. And now I see various businesses and companies that offer testing. Hmm. Um, They weren't as prevalent when I was tested. So if it hadn't have been for my mum testing positive, I wouldn't have been allowed to have been tested. Yeah. And as a um, consequence of the testing, you came to me and you'd made a very big life decision, hadn't you? Yeah, I, I remember actually. So I think the process with the ME sort of taught me that sometimes whilst it's always the best policy to check with your GP and a medical professional... Sometimes, with all the best will in the world, our NHS can't always provide you with what you need, and nor should it. You know, we're very lucky to have that. So I'd taken my health into my own hands, I guess, and done a lot of reading. So by the time I had tested positive for BRCA, 
I had gone back because they offer you a therapy session mm. to talk through your options and to see how you feel about it. And I pretty much walked in with a list of surgeons that I'd found and had decided that I'd, I'd just watched my mum go through chemotherapy at that point. And I had initially wanted three children, mm. but took the decision that I'd been lucky enough to have two boys. And if I had another child and it was a girl, they may have a higher risk of me passing that gene down. So my husband and, and I made the decision that we were just really grateful and happy with the children that we had. And I would go straight the way for full hysterectomy and that would be followed up by double mastectomy with reconstruction. Mm. And I remember meeting you for the first time and you came in and I feel like you knew what you wanted and it was very much like, I've got these ME symptoms and we need to look and sort this out, but also... I know I'm going to have these surgeries. I've got the BRCA2 gene. This is what's happening. And I need your help with my hormone replacement therapy after. And I thought, oh, she, she really knows what she wants, this one. You know, she's done her research. And, and I think maybe we talked a bit about it, but I kind of knew your mind was made up, really. I guess you'd been thinking about it and researching it this whole time. And, of course, I then felt my job was to support you in what you wanted to do, basically. Yeah, I mean, I remember I had done a lot of research and I just remember thinking that I need to be super fit and energised for these operations because I was going to have a total of about five or six and it, it ended up taking six years. But at the time, I thought I would probably end up being done in three and I remember the fact that my mum was still having chemo at the time. So there would be nobody to help, apart from my husband, who was just absolutely amazing all the way throughout, never left my side, looked after me, and thank God for him. Um, and my children were so young, I just did not want them to see me worried or anxious or any of those things, I wanted them to say, you know, that actually that they didn't even realise anything was going on. Yeah. That was my priority. And when I came to you, I'd, I'd already done a lot of research and was just looking for somebody that, I don't know, the information that you put out really resonated with me. It, it, some of the things that you were mentioning that you were doing and you were interested in. And it wasn't just about we do a blood test and we prescribe you with this. You, you really looked at the whole and you offered different types of testing mechanisms that allowed me to be healthy as a whole person, not just we'll fix that and then we might fix that. And, you know, it was a much more holistic approach, which was what I'd wanted. And I, I do remember sending you a list of all the different vitamin sort of vitamins and minerals and I'd broken down what they did in the body and I think Angelina Jolie at the time mm. had gone through hers and Michelle Heaton, who I ended up meeting, had a really interesting conversation with her, you know, so many similarities. And at that time, there was an awful lot on the internet about, well, this could be your treatment plan and that could be your treatment plan. So I, I remember sending you lists. I thought, crikey, she's crazy, but... I just needed somebody that believed, first of all, that the fatigue was a real issue yeah. and that you were then going to help me build myself up so mm. that I could get through 
basically being plunged into an early menopause as well. So it was all of those things. Because that's the first thing we did really is like try and get you kind of at a good baseline for the surgery. And let's not forget you had a 15-month-old and a four-year-old as well as preparing for surgery. So I remember we looked at your cortisol stress hormone levels. We ended up doing some testosterone replacement therapy and and part of you is a bit like, why are we doing hormone replacement therapy? We're going to go for full hysterectomy shortly. But just wanted to get you feeling as well as you could going into those surgeries. Yeah. And what was really interesting was, so I remember we did a lot on vitamin B12 and 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 I remember at the time you sort of saying that oh, we've had some pregnancies. We really should look at this. This is a, a pivotal issue for women that, you know, um, having a baby takes so much from their bodies. And it's an excellent way to start building their bodies back up. And I'd never had that said to me, you know, during both of my pregnancies, there was a lot on folic acid. Mm. and But the vitamin B12 was something that even to this day... For me personally, it's been an integral part of my routine and, and having something that's a, a really good strength. And I, I do feel an awful lot better after, you know, you've obviously prescribed me the right dose, but after taking that. So then not long after you went for your full hysterectomy. Yes. And we'd made a plan that you would start your hormone replacement therapy, which would be estrogen, progesterone and testosterone just a few days after. And how was that in terms of the way you felt about going into the surgery and, you know, what sort of benefit was that to you? Initially, there was issues with the doctors. So they were saying that I didn't need to take progesterone because I'd had a full hysterectomy and that it was pointless taking it. And I remember we discussed this at length. We agreed to take the oestrogen And we would see how we went with the progesterone. And after a little while, I remember coming back to you and saying, just feel a bit low. Um, I hadn't had any other symptoms, the typical menopause symptoms that you hear so much about. I've never had a hot flush. I've never felt sort of straight afterwards really, really um, moody or upset or, or any of those things. I felt quite level, but there were times when I think just taking that progesterone actually was the missing piece. Mm. And if I hadn't had you to say, well, look, you know, let's just look at the science behind this and let's look at the biology as well. You have had those organs removed, so you aren't likely to get cancer there. There is always going to be a risk. We, You know, even now, having done what I've had done, that doesn't, you know, I'm... I believe the doctors have said that I stand a better chance in terms of my averages than the average person these yeah. days. But there's always a risk. You know, cancer is a one in two these days. It's so prevalent. But it was really helpful because you were able to sort of balance the opinion that I was getting from the surgeons. So the conventional way of thinking is that you only need a type of progesterone to protect the womb. And obviously you didn't have a womb, so they're like, you don't need that. But there's a huge difference between synthetic progestin, which is a drug with progesterone-type qualities, only job is to protect the womb. And what you take, which is a body-identical progesterone, which has the same chemical structure as what your own body was making when you had ovaries. Now, taking away those ovaries, you've lost the ability to produce three hormones, 
So why are we only replacing one or two? And my point was that your age as well, being a young woman in your 30s, with a young family, very busy, the progesterone is going to help with the mood and the sleep because that's what it does biologically. It's not just for fertility and protecting the womb. It does so much more than that. But I get this a lot with people who've had a hysterectomy because they're being told by me, maybe take some progesterone. They're being told by their surgeon or gynecologist, you don't need progesterone. So then they, they're like, let's just see how I feel. So I had someone on hormone replacement therapy with progesterone, then had a hysterectomy, so then stopped it. And then three months later, they were like, no, I need it. I'm really flat, actually, and a bit more emotional. So I think it's always good to do a little test with your own body. If you're getting lots of conflicting information, just see how you feel, basically, which is what you did. And you've been on it ever since, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's great because we have very much tailored everything to how we've gotten on. It hasn't been a case of, right, here you go, here's the whole treatment plan you have, take this at that time and that at this time. It has been, you know, everybody's different. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's where all I could do was increase my knowledge hmm. and then seek out somebody that I could come and say, what do you think to this? This is how I'm feeling. And I think we've very much kind of done that over the years. Yeah. And of course, the other unique thing about your situation is your age. You weren't having a hysterectomy at 55. You know, you're 35. So you need different dosage of hormones to someone who's a lot older than you because you should have what another 35-year-old has in their body, right? It's not the same amount of hormone replacement as a 55-year-old needs. So we also tailored it to, to work with your age and your personal circumstances. Yeah, and I think that's something that when I was doing my research and my reading, because a lot of the, I hate to the term industry, but that's kind of the best term I can think of, it's geared towards women of a certain age. Yeah. However... When I was in hospital, I certainly saw a range of women who were as young as you know, 25, 26, and they were having their ovaries removed or hysterectomies. Either they'd had a pregnancy that had ended badly or for whatever reason, um, endometriosis, all those kinds of illnesses that they'd ended up having to have a hysterectomy or have their ovaries removed and talking to them as we're all sat around in our dressing gowns and if anyone you know listening has had a, a hysterectomy or a cesarean section of which I've had two of those as well as you're hooking your pillow in and trying to you know shuffle down to where you're meant to get your your dinner that's very interesting and there we all were sat there looking at each other thinking you know we're not in our 50s what do we do now? Because the information wasn't out there for us. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a very tricky thing because obviously for menopausal women, women in their 50s, things have improved a lot. But perhaps women in their 30s and 40s going through this or having to have a hysterectomy, perhaps there isn't as much info out there for people in those situations. No, probably not. So since your hysterectomy, you've had several breast operations. Yeah. Uh, you had to have several. <laughs> um, and how did the hormone therapy support you in this? I guess the hormone therapy, it just allowed me to function. It mm. allowed me to, it was one less thing to worry about because I was going in for these operations um, feeling good and I trained for those operations you know um, 
I remember doing 15 weeks after the hysterectomy, I went and did like a mini triathlon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, just for the sheer determination that there was no way on earth I was going to come out of that and suddenly feel like, well, you're in menopause now, you're done. Mm. And that sometimes I feel is, is, has been the message in the public domain. Um, but yes, going on to do the other operations, and I'm by no means um, athletic at all, but I really did focus on strength work because I think that really helped particularly in recovery. Yeah. And just some good steady cardio and walking, good nutrition. That's what I tried to focus on. Yeah. And when was your last operation now? My last operations was um, February just this year. Yeah. So not even that long ago. So, no. no. Five no. years of surgery. A small one. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. Good. And we think we're done now, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I had. Um, there's lots and lots of different types of reconstruction that you can have. And I was really very, very lucky um, in that I found a fantastic surgeon, uh, Mr. Stephen McCulley. He's at Nottingham. And he was sort of top of my list. I really researched because I am based up in the Midlands, um, travelling down to London whilst there are some amazing surgeons here too. I needed somebody that was nearer to my home. Yeah, especially with little kids and things as well. Yes, absolutely. We did a bilateral tug flap reconstruction, which is essentially where they take flesh from both thighs, in my case, and use that as the implant so from the outside, no one would ever know that I've had anything done. But I chose that way over any silicon implants because I, I just didn't want to then have to revisit the possibility of having them removed and replaced at a later time. Yeah, yeah, because you're young, so that could be a possibility, right? Yes. Yeah. So when I first saw you, I wrote down you had crippling fatigue, anxiety and depression, and they would have been your words. Yeah. I was just wondering, how are those symptoms for you now compared to about five years ago? Well, the fact that your um, guidance is, uh, from a financial perspective, my absolute priority says everything that you need to know because I, since meeting you, I have... It's quite remarkable. It's a real U-turn. And, and to think back, all those years of tr struggling, you know, when you're in your early 20s and they're the, the years that you're meant to be really enjoying yourself. And I just remember being in so much pain sometimes. So in since then, now going into my 40s, I'm just relieved. Um, and I've never had any menopausal symptoms or, or anything, any hot flushes, as I've said. So I'm really pleased with what we've done together. And, you know, to, you know, put the balanced view across, there have been some ups and downs or I've spoken to you and you're like, oh, energy hasn't been so good or my mood's a bit flat. But then we, we address it, don't we? So just to show people the reality, it's not like, oh, take a pill, that's it. There's no tweaking involved. There have been some ups and downs, but I guess we've just always tried to address it. And I, I try to be reactive to what you're telling me. Yeah, and I think it's like anybody in their life, nothing's perfect all the time. And particularly, you know, when you've had children as well and some of the late nights and getting up with two children during the, the night. I mean, 
my youngest is now six and he still doesn't sleep. So yes, over the years there have been times when it's reared its head a little, but I've always sort of emailed or we've booked an appointment in. If we've needed to, we've ran some bloods. It's so much better than it was in my 20s. You sometimes forget that the day-to-day, you know, like everybody, it ebbs and flows sometimes. Yeah. But there's also been various other things that that we've done in order to counteract some of those as well, which you'll probably explain the technical names better <laughs> than I can. No, go for it. Go for it. Because, yeah, you. it's not just been about hormones. Obviously, you're very passionate about your your health and your well-being. And like you said, it's for you, but it's also for the family. And we've done other testing as well, just to make sure everything's going as it should be, right? Yeah, well, we did the, the DNA testing. We looked at the nutrition side of what looked to be the best sort of diet for me. Um, just today, you've jabbed me with another needle, um, which I'm, you know, sadistically quite excited about the fact that I've now done the age testing, which you're... Yeah, we did the glycan age, which tells you what your cellular age is as opposed to the age on your date of birth. Yeah, we all like a goal in life and mine is going to be whatever that, figure is to bring it down yeah yeah for sure right and I think obviously you do take a lot of care of yourself but you've also been through quite a lot in terms of procedures obviously the stress around it anesthetics and things like that so if we find there's things we now need to optimize then we know where to put our focus because your hormone balance is generally pretty good isn't it yeah yeah and I mean what I haven't said is after the the first breast surgery um, unfortunately, you know, sometimes these surgeries, they don't always go to plan, particularly when you're having as many as I did. And just before I was due to be discharged, uh, one of my drains was taken out and it actually twisted a vein, which caused a blood clot, which meant that the, um, they call it the flap, which is used as the, the implant, didn't get the oxygen through the blood flow that it needed and it died. And they rushed me back in uh, and did their very best, but there really was nothing that they could do. And because it's microsurgery, they couldn't then fix me for another year. So then sort of a year to 18 months later, I ended up going back in and I had the Dieppe flap, which is using a part of the tummy. So there are all those times where you just begin to feel like it's never ending. And coupled with the fact that if, you know, if you're in a situation then when you're quite stressed, you can start to feel a bit low and then the tiredness comes back in and things like that. So that's where I think having the hormones and and that ability to test the blood to see what's going on within the body is so useful because at least if you can just get yourself on a level with that you've got so many other things to think about you don't want to be bone crushingly tired at the same time yeah for sure I mean you've been really open about everything today and thank you for doing that I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people are you open with everyone you meet um was there a time and a place? I think there's not everybody. Um, I certainly don't run around the street sort of shouting, but I think what I've found is that there are so many more of us now. They call us the the Brackers, the Previvers. We're so, or at least I felt, so lucky to 
be in a time where I could have the testing and have this remarkable surgery. My mother had a prosthesis from the, the time she had her mastectomy and I remember it just crushed her confidence. And the fact that I haven't got that and no one would know. I feel so lucky and lucky that I haven't got cancer. And ladies out there that are facing a decision that they have already been diagnosed and they're going to have to go through whatever operations along with chemo or radio or, or any of those things. If a fraction of my story and what I've gone through just helps somebody else, then that's as much as I can do. So if anybody asks me, then I'll tell them all the gory details. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I just hope that it takes the fear away to an extent because it really is something that, for me personally, the way that I handled it was to focus on my health and almost disassociate a little bit. Not think about it too much, just write one foot in front of the other. This is this operation, that's that operation. And what can I do to help myself? Yeah, because obviously you had the support of your family and, you know, we did some hopefully supportive things as well. But I think a lot of it is also from you because the whole way through I've seen you, you know, from the journey when you decided to have the surgery all the way through all your different surgeries, there's always been that sort of resilience and strength and you don't really moan about it. You just, oh, this thing went wrong, so this means this is the next step now. And, you know, just really sort of... You always strike me as very grounded with it. Maybe you don't always feel it, but that's the sort of energy you bring with what's been going on for you. I think my husband would would probably be able to give you a little bit more backstory than I can. <laughs> there were certainly times, particularly after that first double mastectomy and it and it went the way that it went, it was hard. Mm. And I remember in the room, it, they have to keep it really hot so that everything takes, if you like. And I already knew that I could feel one side wasn't right. Mm. And the tears and the anger. I had done everything. I had played it by the book. I had found, you know, one of the best surgeons. I had eaten right. And quite frankly, I didn't have time for this. You know, I had to get back to my children. And I remember eventually, I think I was in 10 days. So, yeah, there were times and that, that year afterwards, every time you get dressed... And there's something that changes, even if everything looks perfect mm. or, you know, you're happy with the outcome that you have. There is definitely, as a woman, a, a part of you that I don't necessarily think you lose. I just think it becomes something different. But then I think as women, we, we go through that in our lives anyway, yeah. with, with the various stages of growing older that we have. Um, we certainly have to learn to become adaptable. Mm. And in terms of the resilience, I just, I think I just felt I didn't, I'd made the decision and that was it. And I didn't want to moan about it. I wanted to focus on the positive as much as possible. But yeah, there, there were times behind the scenes where there were some rough days. Mm, I'm sure. We were talking earlier about, you know, going into your 40s and it's a, a different chapter in your life. And I think that... You've done 
so much work, I guess, you know, from the time when you were having the ME diagnosis to, you know, like you said, the crippling anxiety, depression, fatigue that you're experiencing, all the surgeries you've had done and things. So I feel like you're going into your 40s in a really good, strong position, I hope for you. Yeah, I hope so too. It's one of those pivotal points as we discussed you know in a a woman's life you hit 40 and I think you feel like oh I should have it all figured out by now and everything should be fine but as you said you know during our discussion it really is about changing the perspective of that and, and turning it into a right so now what are the opportunities you know and I think carrying on with with what we've been doing and obviously I'm always you know on your website looking at (laughs) the new things that you have coming anything that I can do to try and give myself the best possible start so at least my health's covered yeah I'll keep doing it yeah well thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story thank you for having me Jo was so open in sharing her story about being diagnosed with the BRCA gene she was 34 years old when she came to see me and primarily came after a long history of ME. For those of you who don't know what ME is, it's quite an old-fashioned term for what's now called chronic fatigue syndrome, and it stands for myalgic encephalomyelitis. As you heard, Jo's pretty proactive in her health, so the first thing she wanted to do was address her fatigue so she would be strong and fit enough for her surgeries. She was also looking for someone to support her in terms of a hormone replacement therapy regime after her full hysterectomy and to help her through her breast surgeries. I feel the key take-home messages from this show is if you're experiencing extreme fatigue, it is an important thing to address. I've written a book called The Tiredness Cure, and in the book I say that if you have quite an extreme fatigue, it can be a sign of other imbalances in your health. It could be inflammation, nutritional vitamin and mineral deficiencies or toxicity. And I think it's important to address it. And I do a lot of this with the patients I see. If you have fatigue, there is a cause. I often say I'm playing medical detective to find it, but it can be done. The next take home is that if you are considering a radical surgery like a hysterectomy for whatever reason, or you've been diagnosed with a BRCA gene, seek support do your research and find a doctor who can support you in the way you want to be supported. The third take home is that, and I think you could hear this from Jo, mindset is so important. Although she did say there were moments of feeling quite low behind the scenes, over the time I've known her, she has been resilient, strong and utilised the support she has, which I believe is very, very important. There is help out there for younger women in the menopause. It's important to know, as a younger woman, you will probably need much higher doses of HRT than a woman in her 50s, so make sure your doctor knows that, and if they don't, tell them. Also, make sure you are getting enough emotional support. As we said, a young menopause can often feel like a loss, but I prefer to see it as a new chapter that we need to get you ready for. As Jo is going into her 40s, I hope she will be stronger and healthier than ever, and it's been a privilege to support such a strong woman in her health. Thanks for tuning in this week to It's Your Hormones. Join me again next week to hear more real-life stories about how hormones can affect you and what you can do about it. See you next week. Listener.